Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 170. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Lee's Comics. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. You remember them from your childhood. Half for the Friendly Ghost, Richie Rich, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad Sack and Little Audrey. You read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and the Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today. Long title Looking for the Good Times Examining the Monkey Song One by One by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down on his songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross Bagdasarian plunged the last of his family savings on a multi-speed tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. It changed the fortunes for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian, Liberty Records, Format Film and the Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions is available from Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copies today. You can now order my latest book, the TTV Scrapbook, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Bear Manor Media. If you'd like signed copies of this or any of my books, please email me at funideas.mark at gmail.com for further information on how to order directly from me via PayPal. I now have three super articles to write for Back Issue. Super Richie, Super Dagwood, and Super Fan. My Pac-Man book is the next to be coming out, and I'm still working on my Mad and Turtles books. Warren Kremer is due out eventually, as is my next Disney book. On today's show, cartoon research columnist Camden Spees returns, and today we will interview a brand new guest who has done animation on some of your favorite cartoons, including Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The Lion King, and Beauty and the Beast. He is also an animation collector and historian. Here he is, Mark Kausler. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and today is another episode of Fun Ideas Podcast, and today I have my special guest... Mark Kausler, he is only on phone, so uh, or on audio, so we can't see him today. Uh, but you could probably look up his picture or watch uh, one of his many uh, commentaries on uh, Looney Tunes DVDs or something else if you need to know what this gentleman looks like. And also, we have Camden Spees, who's joined me on many uh, an interview and works for Jerry Beck's uh, cartoon research, writing columns from now 
every now and then. So anyway, Mark, welcome to the show. Camden, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. It's good to be here. All right. So with, since you were talking about it right before we started recording, let's start again. So you asked me about uh, <laughs> some comic work I've done. And I, I was talking about doing uh, comic book stories for American mythology. And I got a Three Stooges story in and um, Pink Panther and an Ant in the Yardvark. And I said that they didn't pay very well. I don't want to go into it too much on the show. But yeah. okay. <laughs> anyway, but uh, you were talking about that you got uh, an Oswald the Rabbit story. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, I, I really wanted to do an Oswald comic. So I prepared a little two-page sample just for my own amusement. And I, I sent it to uh, David Gerstein because he's a fellow Oswald enthusiast. Right. And uh, he saw it and he said, well, that it's it's okay, but... I think I'd rather write the story myself. So he did kind of a John Stanley-ish kind of a take on the character. He created a whole little village for Oswald to thrive in, you know, and extra characters. And, and he, he sort of pumped up the role of his girlfriend, Kitty, a little bit in the story and, made, you know, put a little bit more of a romantic spin on it. Not that it's a romance comic, but, you know, it's, <laughs> it's still slapstick and involves a magic act and all kinds of stuff like that. But uh so he he sold uh, that he he got a friend I think in in Norway or one of the Scandinavian countries to write it for him to actually do the writing, mm -hmm. and uh, then he he sent it to me with with a little bit of a breakdown idea and I did, did the artwork I did uh, you know all the the drawing of Oswald and and designed the uh, uh, supporting characters. And then mm -hmm. did all the inking for it. And and oddly enough, didn't do any of the lettering in the balloons. I had to leave it <laughs> blank because it was going to be in multiple languages. We didn't know which language it was going to come in, out first. I think it came out in, in Swedish first. Mm -hmm. And then uh, uh, several years later, uh, IDW put it out in Walt Disney's comics uh, and stories. And that was, I never thought I'd ever be in that comic book. You know, that was a real thrill. I didn't get to do the cover. He hired somebody else to do that, but she did a marvelous job uh, imitating the style and get, and she did the characters really well. So I was, when was this her. Mark? When was it? Yeah. Uh, wait, I've got the comic right here. Let me, let me see if I can find the year. Uh, it was just a few years ago. Uh, 2015. Okay. Yeah. Not now that did, long ago for me. Now, does Oswald speak here? Oh, yeah. He speaks all over the place. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He talks up a storm. Okay. <laughs> kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like Felix the Cat and some right. of those characters did. Right. Because yeah. I assume it's it's the Disney look on the Oswald. It's not the Walter Lance look or anything like that. Oh, we snuck in a couple of Walter Lance looks. Ooh. On the page. A panel I'll have to actually. check this not out. I'll page, have to find this. But a panel or two, we managed to sneak in a, a Walter Lance kind of look. <laughs> but it's all based on, you know, the original, which I guess right. was designed by Ub Iwerks. Right. And uh, it all kind of branched out from there. Hugh Harmon, I think of course, Lance, didn't did Lance, wasn't yep. Lance in those, wasn't Lance's Oswald in those first DC comics that were ever published? I've never seen them. You mean like more fun? Yeah, those comics. I've mm -hmm. never been able to look at a more fun comic. They're, uh, those are yeah. like they're out online. of my range. They're online, I think. Yeah. They are? On the yeah, they, comic database, right, Mark? Yeah, there. But um, actually, what I'm thinking of, and I can't see it. I'm looking at the side of my. But there's a box blocking it. They did a reprint of the very first issue. You, you've seen those oversized, famous first editions that they put out back in the '70s, and the, the sure. Action Comics number one. Well, they did a brand new one of New Fun number one, and Oswald the Rabbit is in there, in a couple of strips, and it's the Walter Lance design. And it, you know, I had forgotten about that. The, the, the character's colored black or the white Oswald. Well, it's, it's black and white on the pages, but the you know, he's a white character. Uh, yeah, yeah, the, he's the, the, white Oswald. Yeah. Okay, the, so that yeah, that's the late '30s one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that uh, kind of makes sense because those yeah. came out in the late '30s. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and it surprised me that it was in there and it might be why they never issued it in the past. They probably had legal issues back then that kind of got a re resolved when Disney got the character back. Who knows? I don't know. I'm making it up. But like, so. but like um, I know I know for a fact those Van Buren Sunshine Makers characters are in there. I do know that. Wow. Yeah. Which I found that fascinating. My old boss, uh, Tom Goodson, who I worked for when I was a kid in St. Louis, worked on uh, the Sunshine Makers. 
Hmm. Yeah, he he did uh, quite a lot of animation of the Glooms characters in that. You know, the the guys say, who, who sing "We're Happy When We're Sad" and pace back and forth. And Tom used to bring in to the little company where we worked uh, paintings he'd done, beautiful uh, uh, gouache paintings of the of the dwarfs from that uh, the little uh, the little Glooms from that cartoon. He was very fond of that, and he was not a sentimental man, but he he really had great fondness for working on that picture. And so, so Tom was the first uh, guy I ever worked for in animation. That goes back, you know, to when, like, you know, nineteen sixty four, nineteen sixty five, when I worked for him. Hmm. I worked for him after school. I wanted to get enough money. Uh, I wanted to. to I, I actually worked for supplies. I, I I couldn't afford to get cells. I was making my own little films at home on eight millimeter, and I wanted some cells. And uh, he made me a deal where I would, I would, uh, he would train me to do in-betweens for him. And uh, I, he would pay me off in, in art supplies and cells. So I was very happy with that arrangement. Mm. And I made a little cartoon called Sing Along with Yogi Bear when I was just a kid. <laughs> and uh, it has no sound, unfortunately. I always had to supply the sound when I ran it, but uh, I had a good time making that. And in, in that little cartoon, I had a pretty grisly ending, uh, 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 I think a, Yogi kills Boo Boo <laughs> with a giant boulder. <laughs> he just squashes him. Uh, Bambi so, meets Godzilla, and they... <laughs> it got it got kind of violent. Well, it's not as not as well timed or as clever as Bambi. That's made by my old friend uh, Marv Newland. Yeah, we, we worked together at uh, Spung Buggy Works oh, uh, back in 1970. I graduated from Chouinard in fall of 1970, and we mm -hmm. worked there for a couple of years before Marv moved to to Vancouver, uh, uh, Canada. Hmm. And uh, we had a good time working there. Hmm. We made a lot of commercials. We used to make a, a commercial a week there. The schedule was so uh, was so tight, you know. We would we would literally turn out forty five feet of reasonably full animation every week. Wow! So uh, it was a good training. And uh, I was fresh out of art school, so they paid me like seventy five dollars a week, hmm. and which was pretty darn cheap. Could get a whole spot for seventy five dollars? Not bad. Not bad on Frank Terry's part. Frank Terry was my, my boss. But uh, then after a year and a half went by, I did some work over the weekend with a friend of mine. We, we, we freelanced on a commercial for Exide uh, Willard Batteries, as I remember. And I think I made $400 that weekend. And I thought, boy, something tells me, you know, <laughs> handwriting's on the wall. I think I could actually make a better living freelancing than I can working for Spun Buggy. So I asked for a modest raise. Uh, Frank, uh, you know, I'd like to continue with you, but how about uh, you know, 125 a week? He said, you're fired. Ooh. <laughs> so I packed my bags and left. And then I had a little bit of a dry spell for a couple months. And, and then I started to get jobs. I worked at a lot of the little small studios around town in those days, like the Habush Company and Check Jones. things like that. I did a little work for Chuck. That, that's a funny story. I'm glad you brought that up. There's another <laughs> funny story about being fired. Uh, I worked on a cartoon, a Roadrunner cartoon called Freezed Frame, which was used in a, in a TV special that uh, Chuck was producing. And I committed a cardinal sin. I, uh, I showed the Roadrunner's legs as he ran across the shot. Uh, it was timed very slowly. So in my head, I thought, well, Chuck must want him, the Roadrunner just to lope along, you know? just so he's running slow so i drew his legs because i thought if, unless he's running fast his his legs would not be uh, in a blur mm -hmm. you know so he didn't like that and he issued through mary roscoe who was his production uh, coordinator uh you've cost us a lot of time and trouble and we're gonna have to let you go Ooh. so oh. said, okay well i mean it wasn't much for them to let me go because i was working by the foot anyway <laughs> but I also worked on a, on a picture called the pumpkin, the Raggedy Ann and the pumpkin who, who couldn't smile. Right. And, and he liked my stuff in that because hmm. I did all my corrections for him for nothing. You know, no extra work, uh, no extra money. And uh, I thought we were getting along fine until we hit the Roadrunner debacle. <laughs> so that was the end of that. Well, wasn't there another thing Chuck Jones didn't uh, like is you, you worked on this, uh, little live action short, short with Joe Adamson called a political cartoon and did a version of Chuck Bugs Bunny and Chuck Jones with and that production. He did not like that production yeah. because I went and showed him some layouts I'd done for the Bugs Bunny sequence. Mm -hmm. 
Mm -hmm. And he said, that's not my rabbit. That's McKimson's rabbit. So go over and show it to him. Mm. So I went to the Patty Freeling where Bob was directing in those days right, and right. showed it to him. And Bob was just the soul of generosity. He took his time <laughs> to put my drawings on his pegs and he put another piece of paper over what I did and redrew the whole thing Ooh, and showed wow. me this is where his mouth goes. This is where his nose goes. So watch what you're doing with the eyes. Watch the volume of the head. He just gave me an education, you know, and, and I love the way he draws Bugs Bunny very much. Because that's sort of Bob Clampett's basis, too. And I, I like Bob's version of, of Bugs about the best of any. But anyway, so that little segment in a political cartoon uh, was done. I did it all for $400. Mm -hmm. uh, I did all the animation, uh, designed the backgrounds, and recorded. Well, that was extra. I actually had to record Mel Blank for that. And oh. uh, that was an interesting story, too. Mel was in the hospital at the time uh, he was slated to do this little recording for us. And uh, Noel, his son told me, well, since his accident back in the early 60s, every bone in his body is extremely fragile. Uh -huh. And recently he stepped on his brake on his car really hard and broke his leg again. Oh. So poor Mel, but you know, he just sat up in bed and did the whole thing. And he was in very good voice. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, got it made. And, he, and I think he made uh, 500 bucks. We, we paid him more than you yeah. <laughs> to do the job. You know? He made more than me than I did, but it was very good. It was fun working with him. And he, mm -hmm. you know, he took direction incredibly well, considering I was just a kid. I mean, he didn't know me from the next guy. Hmm. So yeah. anyway, now I watched that earlier today. Are you, you in, are you in it? No, I do not appear. Oh, okay. Because I could have sworn there was a guy and I even wrote the quote that says it works wonders on my athletic foot and uh it looked like it might be you from around that oh, they're time talking so. about that uh, that medicine that gives you the bubonic plague yeah in that one that was that was the, the their magic cure for okay. all disease give you a a, 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 a pill that makes a, your, your, you know gives you an even worse problem <laughs> so you, <laughs> the bubonic plague so you didn't have a, a cameo in the film okay no, so, no 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 all right it looked like it might have been you but i figured i'd ask since we're talking no, okay, no. So, okay. No, uh, yeah that was joe adamson's uh picture yeah, right. he directed that and i forget the other writer he had on that but yeah, you could I, easily find it yeah, I saw it earlier today. I, I don't know if I wrote it down. Boy, that um, one goes back. Yeah, yeah. Um, because, you know, I was doing a little research, even though I know a lot of stuff you did. I said, oh, okay, let me kind of You know, there's ask. been some kind souls who have put, uh, actually, they went to all the trouble to make reels of my stuff. You know, put reels of my animation up on the internet. And that's very nice of them, but a lot of it they got wrong. Oops. You know, they put up a lot of stuff I never worked on. So, yeah, there's some, yeah, uh, some I of the stuff I about. did and a lot that I didn't. I know what you're talking about. And I know that one of those people who did that um, still didn't change it. <laughs> no. he, he, he was so adamant about it. According, <laughs> to, um, according to Strom Pats, who I think emailed you. I know him. About, yeah. He said, he said, you know, he's so adamant about it that he doesn't want to change it, even though you are, even though people, people who already animated on the scene suggested them. It's so oh. That's hilarious. It, well, oh. I mean, all I can say is, was you there, Charlie? You know, did, yeah. did, did they, were they there when I animated the stuff? They know, they know well, what I did better than I do. Well, well, let me see if some of these are true. I want to know now. Um, okay. Okay. So I read that after you, you in 1968 you won the Bo, bob or bob i guess bob, cannon bob cannon scholarship, scholarship yes to, to he, go to cunard that for me okay so that's he was true so nice okay. to me i okay. was unbelievable i was so lucky i met him and then it says you worked on some early captain crunch commercials for jay ward yes, yes. Uh, just, okay. I, just, I was just in between oh okay I didn't okay. get to animate. I was in between for my friend, Dwayne Crowther, who was, yeah, who was still, my mentor. I mean, yeah. And if it hadn't been for Dwayne, I probably wouldn't be here today either. I mean, he was another incredibly okay. kind person. I was lucky to meet very kind people and also people who were, you know, dollars and cents exploiters. <laughs> 
but you know it's a combination of everything that makes the business work you know right but Dwayne was very talented he he animated on yellow submarine he he got okay. a whole sequence with blue max and the blue meanies in that to animate and i just did a little tiny bit of work on it for him okay that's what my, what my next one was is yellow submarine did you really work on that yes just a little like, bit a little, bit. Only, a little is better than days. zero <laughs> yeah like like about three days big deal okay. but yeah I, I worked on that so where did you work on it from la or did yes, you actually go to England? Uh, okay, Dwayne okay. flew to london okay and met with the director and took a whole sequence back and he did it at the old fred calvert studio uh right uh, in north hollywood and we did it there and fred you know just gave Dwayne the, the second floor uh <laughs> to work on and, and that's that's where we did it okay I'm trying to remember the other animators name he just passed away recently australian well, guy um, i can't think of his name today well, the, the ones i was going to ask you about uh, if you even converse with them al brodex or bob balzer did you work with well, either yes i've met bob balzer uh, many okay. times and okay. his wife too Mm -hmm. and uh and those were really close friends of Dwayne's. Mm -hmm. he really really liked the balsers a lot bob mostly worked i think he started in the united states but he emigrated to spain right and did most of his production over there yeah now i can't I did, remember what he did I, exactly. for my DePatty freeling book i did interview him from spain you know and Wonderful. uh and he gave me some drawings and things like that and we were planning to meet unfortunately things happened and he passed away and it's like oh, yes you know so but we were all quite surprised but i guess you know you, you kind of take these guys for granted you think they're yeah. going to be around forever and you know this is not the way of things so yeah yeah um i'll just keep going down the list so the next sure. one i see is shinbone alley oh uh, yeah <laughs> you know the, the production short for that just got put up on the internet if, if you want to have a bit of a chuckle for yourself uh just uh, select fine arts films mm -hmm. uh archie and mehitabel and it's mm. on there and it certainly brings back memories. Bob Bransford, who is one of the uh, chief animators, is on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rosemary O'Connor, who, uh, who did somebody talk to you about her? I, Bob, Bob Kurtz. Yes, he, he mentioned oh, yeah, Rosemary yeah. O'Connor to you. I, I listened yeah. to your interview with him. Okay. Bob Kurtz is one of my old bosses. Yeah. So it was fun to, to hear him uh, tell you stories. So, uh, yeah, Rosemary O'Connor was one of the layout people. She mm -hmm. married a guy named Charlie McElmurray later and moved to, uh, to Paris. But anyway, that's supposed, that's uh, parenthetical to my point here. Mm -hmm. But uh, I'm talking about uh, Shimbone Alley. But I, that was the summer of 1969 I worked there. Unforgettable mm. summer. Uh, we worked on the old, what had been the old monogram lot on Sunset Boulevard. And in those days, it was called Color Vision. Mm. And they had dilapidated old sound stages and a Western street, very, you know, very uh, fitting for monograms since they made so many B-Westerns. And we worked in a little corner dilapidated building right on the corner of the lot, uh, you know, very close to the street. And gosh, that was so much fun. <laughs> and uh, all of us were as green as grass. You know, we'd hardly ever worked in the business. And John Wilson, who directed the picture, hired us. Hmm. So I worked with uh, Frank Andrina and Ed Knopfsiger. And Frank was wonderful to me and let me animate one scene. In the Archie declares war sequence, which is the only sequence in the picture to resemble George Harriman's drawings, which George mm. Harriman illustrated uh, Archie and Mehitable. If you've ever seen a copy of it, right? He did mm -hmm. beautiful work on that. And uh, Sam Cornell, my friend who sadly just passed away last year, did all the layouts. And Sam could do a perfect <laughs> George Harriman. He was mm -hmm. really good at aping his style. So we had a, a lot of fun working on that sequence. The rest of it. John Wilson was a little cowardly, you know, he, he, <laughs> he, he professed not to like Disney, but when it came down to push comes to shove, he restyled Mehitabel and Archie and Tyrone T. Tattersall and all those characters to look very much like Disney right. versions of Harriman. It, it, seem, it seems like what happened to Columbia. Yeah, yeah it's kind of like that. Exactly. So, yeah, they, mm -hmm. they, they only had so much courage. To go out on their own and then they wind up imitating disney mm -hmm. yeah but but uh so that's what happened with shinbone alley it was not a huge money maker but it only cost preston fleet sandy fleet who paid for the picture it only cost him a million dollars <laughs> and uh you know and, and it went out to do not uh, allied artists which was that's what monogram turned into wasn't it allied artists so mm -hmm. isn't that i never thought of that before so in a <laughs> way we did it on the monogram lot 
and monogram released it that's really a strange coincidence i never thought about that <laughs> now did you on, yeah did you work for john again because i just found never this out did. that john did the titles for like the sunny and share comedy hour okay i didn't work on that okay i was just kind of curious no he would have tightened me as a cartoon guy and he thought his stuff on sunny and share was was fine art you know oh yeah right and, and us mere cartoonists you know we couldn't touch sunny and share well, that's all right but you know here's here's a funny story about that monogram lot uh mm -hmm. x monogram lot they had one stage that we were kind of suspicious of we saw these kind of pretty girls going in and out of there and some strange looking <laughs> men we went in there one day when nobody was there on a lunch hour we saw these manacles and whips and chains mm. and stuff attached to the to the walls and later on we found they were making you know sadomasochist <laughs> porn in that theater at the same time wow <laughs> wow so that's what's been going on on this lot it shows you just kind of how down and out monogram's lot was at that point here we're making a cartoon feature and and and, and, and softcore porn you know on the same lot at the same time um i have a quick question sure Mark, I wanted you to also say about how you argued with Barbera in his office about artwork. You really want to hear that story? Yeah. Okay, because I was on another podcast and the guy, I told the story and he got so mad at me that he X'd the whole thing that I did and never, never put it on the net. So if wow. you can take it, uh, Mark, I will tell it. I'll take it. <laughs> okay, it's, it's, a, it's a relatively recent. My, my good friend Pat Ventura and I uh, worked together at Hanna Barbera in the in the Fred Seibert days when Fred was the president of Hanna Barbera, mm -hmm. and we worked on the What a Cartoon program. Oh yeah, and we had a lot of fun because it, it sort of was right on the border of theatrical shorts and TV stuff, you know, because we, they were seven minutes long. All these little shorts Pat did, and he did Sledgehammer Opossum. He did. He did his version of George and Junior. He did Yucky Duck. He did all his own characters and Avery's George and Junior, but his own take on it. You know? mm -hmm. Kind of sparse animation, but fun to do and really funny drawings. And we had a, a lot of fun working on those. Well, one day he got an appointment with Joe Barbera, like the whole lunch hour. And he asked, would you like to come along? And well, and, and I brought along some old uh, drawings Joe had made uh, when he was doing Tom and Jerry, his directorial drawings. I had some of those. I had them from Nitwitty Kitty and some other ones. So I brought those up with me and, and we had a good time for about the first hour. Uh, we chatted about the old days at Hanna-Barbera, not, not, well, not Hanna-Barbera, but MGM cartoons. He talked a lot. He talked about Milk Gross and things like that. He talked about how Milk Gross used to be so uh suspicious and paranoid about what people might be saying about him hmm. that he put his his ear to an old heat register which sort of a waffle pattern you know lattice pattern mm -hmm. and he would come downstairs and that waffle pattern was imprinted on the side of his head <laughs> and he said oh been listening again eh, no and he would be very embarrassed and, you know not say anything about it <laughs> that was a funny story joe told us but uh, then at the end of all that fun uh i showed him his drawings and he said are you know are these yours and you know can you tell me anything about them and he looked at says yeah they're mine and i want them i want them back they're mine hmm. and i said well you know i i've had these for a long time and you know i'd like to hold on to them and then you know he talked about other things and he kept coming back to the drawings and said you know you really should give me those you know they're mine and, and i want them and i just didn't want to give them to him you know so at the end, he says, well, you know, hey, I know people, you know, I can get, I can really uh, do you a lot of harm, you know, I, I, I know people, you know, they're, you know, in the mob, and they can do things to you. So, uh, you know, and I'm still waiting. After all these years, I'm waiting to be rubbed out by <laughs> Joe Barbera's mob. But nobody ever came after me. So I still have the drawings. That's why he doesn't use a camera down there. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Nobody can see what I look like. But, but some of those drawings came in handy because there's a, there's a book on layout called, what is it? Forge, setting the Stage or something. There's a wonderful book on animation layout. And they came in handy because I loaned those drawings to the guy and he used yeah. some that of the book I don't have. I put an ILL to the library I work at to get it. Good book. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and so I was happy that I held on to those because they came in handy. 
Hmm. So um, I, I, there's also a parenthetical story that goes along with that. When I worked at Disney, I, uh, I had a few little drawings from Destino, hmm. uh, the Salvador Dali uh, version you know, uh, of the little number that they were going to put in, I guess in Fantasia, and it never got in. But uh, <laughs> so uh, I made an appointment with John Hinch. Here's another foolish thing. Don't ever show old drawings to people. It just gets you some big trouble. <laughs> so I, got, I went up to see John Hinch and I showed him the drawings and he said, are these yours? Because I knew he worked along with Dolly or, or are these Salvador Dali's? Says, Those are Salvador Dali's. And he said, and they're ours. And uh, if you don't turn them over now, uh, I'm going to make sure you are fired. Wow. Young man. <laughs> young man i'm going to be sure you were fired so i was a little less stubborn i guess because i didn't want to actually be fired mm -hmm. so i handed the drawings over wow so that was the end of that but i had no idea i had actual salvador dolly drawings these were just given to me by a hmm. friend of mine who used Are, to have worked at disney did those end up in that book the disney that never was or not no. the ones i gave john oh, okay. no those were other ones i mean they okay. got hundreds of them okay. i had three yeah. You know, and he threatened to fire me. Wow. So the golden rule is, if you've got stuff, do not show it to people who might have done it, because you may lose it. Is this yours, counselor? No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess I'm the only... Oh, you heard the Ed Love story along those lines, didn't you? Mm. And this didn't happen to me. But a friend of mine had some Ed Love animation drawings, some a whole scene of his from, I think, uh, you know, one of the Georgian Juniors or something like that. So he took it over to him and wanted his autograph. And uh, Tony Love, Ed Love's son, took the drawings and took them into his dad and said, you know, this friend of mine wants, wants, your, wants your autograph. He said, they're mine. He said, I'm keeping them. They're mine. I Ooh. made them. I'm not going to get rid of them. They're mine. So he grabbed them and, <laughs> and put them in wow. his room. Well, actually, and, and a few months later, Tony felt really sorry for this guy who'd given him the drawing. So he, he snuck him out of Ed's room and didn't tell him. And Ed never <laughs> noticed the difference. You know? <laughs> but, he, but he never got the autograph. <laughs> yeah, he got the autograph. Oh, he did? Okay. Yeah, okay. He signed it. Ed signed it first, and then he said, they're mine. Wow. You know, of course, these are mine, you know. Strange. <laughs> so there's another instance of don't show them. <laughs> <laughs> um, before I forget, and this is uh, important because I was uh, – jumping around looking at everything in your career but i'm working on a mad magazine book and i found out if this oh, is yeah. correct you worked on the mad magazine tv special I that sure didn't did. come out in 1974 when everybody that worked out. on that is pretty much gone but you, if you worked on it do you have any memories of working on it or Am anything I the else last surviving person that we're <laughs> probably well uh, al feldstein's not around and gaines isn't around and well you know. i worked on the spy versus spy sequel Oh, okay. which a gentleman named Chris Ishii directed in New York. Hmm. And he sent me the layouts to do here. Uh, you know, I did it all freelance. I forget how much a foot they paid me. It was pretty low. But I did it because I thought, you know, this would be an interesting challenge because I'd never seen the little spies animated by anybody else, you know? Right. So I took a whack at it. The trouble with the sequence was, is that, you know, the way Proheus did his panels really long and tall. He, he hmm. did unusual staging in his pages for Matt. Well, Chris tried to ape that in his layouts, but it would have involved a lot of vertical panning, you know, panning from A down at the bottom to B way up at the top. Wow. And yeah. managed to keep everything centered and in the clear so he understood what was going on. Well, he didn't really think too much about what it was going to and as the animator i had to be concerned about is this going to make sense when the camera gets gets through sh shooting it so i restaged it a little and i kind of had fun with it and i thought it was pretty lousy when i did it at the time but you know it was so funny years later i got a print of that special i said you know this isn't as bad as i thought it was <laughs> I guess it, 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 it got some, I don't know, maybe it, it grew, uh, grew angel's wings in the years that it was between 74 and I saw it. But, but Chris was really mad at me. He blamed me for the whole prop layout problem and said, young man, I'll never use you again. So that was the end of that. Wow. But it was fun working on that show. And uh, there was a lot of stuff in it that um, 
uh, who was the uh, Martin Drucker? Uh, yeah. Martin Drucker designed that was too tough to animate. You know what I mean? Right. Caricatures they did a, they did a Godfather hard. parody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Caricatures are hard because they can look like the person from from the front view or the side view, however it's designed. <laughs> but when you try to turn that, you can easily lose the character. It's so easy to get lost and and to get you know amorphous and everything boils and it, it just doesn't look like what you're doing anymore they, that special was loaded with that stuff they gave it to animators who couldn't draw the caricatures in any way except the layout and it, mm -hmm. it, it suffered because of it, it was stiff mm. so that was the problem with that special yeah. animators notice all these things Right. But the story I've heard was that it wasn't that as the reason why it never aired. It would had more to do with uh, issues with, you know, basically product placement and things like that. Oh, really? And, you know, would people understand the satire and, you know, stuff like that? And who who's the market for this? And they just shelved it rather than try to push it out there. Although um i saw segments of it originally about 1977 or 78 and uh it was on a show hosted by um uh what's her face that played 99 on get smart uh barbara felden yeah yeah barbara felden oh yeah and they just showed a few segments from this mad cartoon show and it was like this holy grail from that moment on for me as a mad fan i was like i gotta find this thing you know now I you just you go did. on youtube and there it is but it's like you know, at the time it, yeah good. You know, well, yeah, I have a print of it. It's pretty good print. Yeah. But uh, but it was it was interesting. Now, now that that sounds like it kind of got hung on the old children's television petard, you know. Yeah. Like it's animated, therefore kids are the audience, and if kids don't understand the satire, then it's no good. Right. So <laughs> they couldn't yeah. run it. That's too bad. Yeah, and uh, it, you know, actually, I think it's the most faithful Mad adaptation. I mean, if you compare it to mad tv or the later mad cartoon series or up the academy it's like yours was pretty much spot on so oh. what, well we know. were lucky in that uh, i think mark drucker himself actually did some of the layout hmm. on that thing and uh, and some of the was who was the guy that did uh what mad looks at or you, you well, they had uh, he had, they had animation that looked like Bob Clark's stuff. Yes, I'm thinking of oh, Bob Clark. Okay, and then Don Martin's too. stuff, and you know. There's another guy too who did as as seen as or as um, Mad sees it or something like that. It's been a while since I've seen those magazines, so yeah, I it's like George Woodbridge did stuff, Jack right. Davis, and you know, that's like. I think Jack may have worked on it too a little bit. I think yeah. there was oh oh I'm forgetting Don uh, Don Martin. Yeah, because yeah, because that was I think some of the best stuff in that show was yeah. Don's, you know, and I think Don actually did a layout or two. But right. His his style worked beautifully for animation because it was simple, it mm -hmm. wasn't complicated. It looks kind of like circus clowns with little mm -hmm. bulbous noses. It was easy <laughs> to turn, a big floppy feet, and very animator friendly. So yeah. I often wondered how come nobody ever sold a Don Martin program, you know, or a Don Martin series. It, well, was, it was so funny. One thing, funny you mentioned that. One uh, thing I found out, and this is after I did my De Patty Freeling book. <laughs> so if I ever update it or revise it, I'll add it in there. Is that they were considering De Patty Freeling doing a Captain Klutz TV right. series. And it's like, the, I think the issue was who owns it? Is it Matt or is it Don Martin? And, you know, it never, <laughs> you know, it, and, and there's a, quite a few projects like that that just never went past past the planning stage but that one missed my planning stage part at the end of the book where i said unrealized projects and i go damn it i would have put that in there i am going to talk about it in my mad book so it gets covered but wow you do so many books it's really impressive it's, it's not easy to do all those books <laughs> uh, it's not <laughs> those mad books taking far well i didn't even want to do it that's another story but it's taking far longer than i want to but that's because i want to make it thorough and of course mad's been around for 70 years so i'm like it's <laughs> still going i guess I haven't yeah. seen a new issue of it in a long time. Yeah, they, their subscription or uh, comic store only, and it's basically all reprints now, but I'm a nut and I still subscribe to it. Like so. the Looney Tunes book. Yeah. It's, it's virtually all reprints. Yeah, and I subscribe to that too because any comic store I go to, they, and me. 
invariably Most don't carry it. Tunes. Yeah, they they invariably don't carry it. And I said, I want to get every issue because there's only hey. one title. So yeah, I stopped subscribing to the Looney Tunes comics once. About half of the comic book was just ads for later other comics. Yeah, yeah well, they is, do that too. Now the back end of the book is all previews. Yeah, yeah, for, uh, yeah that's, other people's that's, comics. Yeah, which is strange. But I guess they figured they can sell them better that way or something. I don't know. I guess. I don't know. But it is but cheaper to subscribe than buy them off the stands anyway. The printing so. is very nice on the mm-hmm. more recent. It's the, that's the main thing that's improved about it is the printing. It's, yeah. It's spot on. And the colors yeah. are in perfect register. It's nice paper. It's just a nice a nice production job. And and I I don't know if the first story is new. And the rest it is, is all reprint? Is yeah that, is it that is way to go? Okay. yeah because the way you can tell is the reprints always say edited by joan hilty she <laughs> she hasn't edited for years yeah so, <laughs> so it, it's usually the lead-off story that's brand new um I, and it leads me to another question since you worked with warner brothers and everything else but uh have you ever considered doing a looney tunes story since they're taking occasional new material oh i've never considered it probably okay. because they would pay five dollars a page too <laughs> But I don't know if it'd be worth it. Well, it's DC publishing it. They have a little bit of money, I think. Yeah. But I mean, I have had a lot of run-ins with the corporate monolith, which is uh, Warner yeah. Brothers. And uh, it is not pleasant, to say the least. And trying to sell them a story that they didn't originate would be tough. Would right. Be really there, I think the best artist that works for their book is a guy named Dave Alvarez. He's yeah. really yeah, good. Dave. He does some really funny poses. He, he is really sharp the way he draws those characters but i hear through the grapevine they don't treat him very well either i heard he just got to get got to work he's now working at disney i think ah of course yeah i think uh, some of his stuff he posts online or on facebook you can kind of tell he's sort of drifted off into disneyland he can yeah. imitate anybody's style you know he can do milk call he can do glenn Keane. he can do frank thomas he can do you know rod scribner he can do anybody He's done so Hanna Barbera stuff, I know. Oh yeah, like yeah, he, they did good. those awful DC Looney Tunes parodies where they put the DC characters and the Looney Tunes characters together. <laughs> yeah, I didn't. The only thing that, that was decent about that whole thing, yeah, and yeah. I read parts of it, was Dave Alvarez doing a Top Cat and Superman thing. Wow. <laughs> the only thing that was decent though was the artwork of the whole thing. Yeah. yeah, now you're I making me it. sorry I didn't get them, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get them <clears throat> too many. Um, let's see. Um, so you've done stuff like for every studio. So, uh, did uh, let's talk about to Patty Freeling, I guess. So, did sure. you you worked uh, on the the Flip Wilson special? That's rooms, the right? only thing I ever did for them. Okay, that's what that, I thought. The only reason I got in there, I tried several times to get work. From to Patty Freeland, they, they uh, say, you know, you're too young. We don't hire anybody that's that's you know got your small amount of experience. Like, we're so terribly sorry, but you know, <laughs> pe- go peddle your papers, kiddo. So, but <laughs> Corny Cole, I knew from working in commercials because Corny was good friends with Dwayne Crowther and did some work for Dwayne. So Corny got to know me and said, "How would you like to pick up some scenes on this Cleo Wilson show?" And uh, and they were paying, of course, extremely little. But I said, you know, why not? It'll give me some experience. And, and they gave me a lot of crowd shots to do of the band, uh, the kids' band playing the bandstand and playing, the, uh, playing music. I got to do a long walk cycle of uh, little Clero Wilson walking <laughs> along a long pan background and, and just looking in the various doors and things like that. Uh, I just did little scenes like that. Not a, not a great deal of footage. But uh, it, it was fun to do. You want to throw out a question, Mark? No, you go ahead. Go for it. Yeah, I'm asking both marks here. So, um, so, um, my friend, I'm sure I'm. I don't know if you worked with him, Mark Skip Craig, my friend Skip Craig. Um, who was the editor on the Bullwinkle show? He was. He and I were talking about the Crunch commercials for a while, and you worked at the tail end of the Ward era, era didn't you? No, it was what nineteen. Uh, 19- uh, that would have been 68. Oh, yeah. so you were in the summer right? 1968. A little bit after their prime, just a little bit afterwards. Just a little bit after, but it, I remember there was a sequence with um, Captain Crunch riding on the back of an elephant in a howdah on top of the elephant's back. <laughs> and that was, Dwayne hated that because he didn't want to 
go to all the trouble to draw all the tassels and all the stuff moving on the howdah, but he did it anyway. And I got to do some of the in-betweens on that. And then I, you know, neophyte driver that I was, uh, I got to take my little Volkswagen and drive that to the, <laughs> to the Jay Ward studio on Sunset Boulevard. <laughs> and I, I, I sort of did, did some of the delivery of the artwork for Blaine, which he appreciated. Hmm. So, but, and that's when I almost got to meet Jay, but Jay took a look out his door and said, oh, who's that? Never heard of him. Slam. Slam <laughs> the door. Didn't even want to come out and see me, you know. But I did. By that point, wasn't Jay a little bit of a recluse? Yeah, and he was an odd guy. He didn't trust people he didn't know. He was kind yeah. of scared of them. I, I, I have a similar story because, oh, you know, okay. they had the Dudley Do-Right Emporium there, the store. Right. Um, and I went in there and his wife and Tiffany, his daughter, who was a kid at the time, uh, because I was a kid, uh, they would uh, help people in the shop. And I think one time I was bold enough and say, is Jay here? And I think his wife basically lied to me. And she says, no, he's not here. And I go, <laughs> OK. And so I left. And in the window, as I left, I saw him in the back window in his office. And he waved. He looked out the window and he waved to me. And it was Jay Ward because he had the big curly mustache. And I, I, I didn't walk back in. I just kind of waved back because I was a little bit shy. <laughs> but it's like, hey, I got waved at by Jay Ward. Yeah, well, yeah so, Bill Scott was a lot uh, friendlier than Jay. He, he was yeah. more effusive. And, and I saw Bill several times at various ASIFA events. I think Bill was president of, uh, of ASIFA for a while. Yeah. He so was. I, got, I got a chance to meet with him. And, uh, and also uh, Bill Hertz, who was one of their directors. Mm -hmm. uh, it was an interesting story there. When I came one time to drop off some artwork from Dwayne, Bill said, hey, kid, want to see some drawings of Captain Crush? I said, sure. So he, he flipped a whole scene for me. And the drawings were weak. I mean, really kind of tissue paper weak. I mean, they were way off model. And the scale was bad. And the action wasn't, was kind of, you know, Diplomatic or whatever the right word is. And uh, he said, That's, we, we had to reject this scene. You know? He said, do you know who did it? I said, no, I don't recognize it. He said, Bill Teitla. He said, oh my God, is that, is that the truth? And Bill Teitla was so down on his luck or so emaciated by that time, he couldn't even draw Captain Crunch. No. He, could, he couldn't do a scene. That's how, how far down poor bill was by 1968 1969 mm. it's very sad but anyway that was a, a big surprise what happened to bill tightly again i forgot well i don't know exactly i think he had several runs at doing commercials and i think he even had his own commercial production company in new york for a while and uh, this was uh, post famous studios of course right and uh right. he made a lot of attempts at it but i think he just got tired. I think that, you know, he got tired of having to be a businessman and, and bid on jobs and do all the stuff, you know, take care of his staff. And so I think that's, and he, also he had, I think, a run of bad health. I'm not exactly sure what it was, but I think that's what well, finally. Uh, well, he died happened. at the end of 68. That's what I was looking up. So, okay. Yeah. December so 30th. Oh gosh. So, he, so see, that was the summer of 68. Wow. So that was right near to the point where he was about, about uh, ready to die. So he must have been in extremely poor health then. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so anyway, um, there's that I imagine you also there. worked with another person I've got to talk to many years before he passed away, Gerard Baldwin. Oh, yeah, Gerard. <laughs> well, I never, I don't think I actually worked with Gerard, but I talked to him on the phone at great length. I called him, I think he was living in New Mexico. Was no, he was still living in Texas. In I Texas. called, I. Well, between my age of 14 and between my age of 19, I would call him all the time. Mm. I'm, I'm sure he, you know, he must have been a lot of fun to talk to. He's, he was very nice to me. Yeah. And he, 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 he was not shy about answering questions about his animation or anything he'd ever done. And he mm. told me a lot of stories about his brother. Uh, yeah. Baldwin, and, 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 you know, poor Howard. <laughs> all the terrible <laughs> things that happened to him. But, uh, yeah, Gerard was a great guy. Oh, you know, you're, you're right, Camden, in that I did see Gerard before that. I saw him at an office party that Bob Kurtz was at. I remember oh. this now. <laughs> and I talked to Gerard, and I said, and at that point, I hadn't made Animator yet. I was still doing assistant work. And I said, Gerard, how long should you wait, you know, before you become an animator? How long does it take? So you should do it right now. 
that was his that was what his answer Do it right now kid animate now so I, I i after that i badgered Dwayne for for scenes hmm. on various things we were doing can i have one scene to do can i have a scene here so that's kind of how i broke out of doing assistant work and sidled over into the animation column just so what what's what's considered your first animation work then my first professional yeah because I, I made uh, a lot of little cartoons when I was eight years old. Right. I'm not talking about that. I mean, I professional. Those. Yeah. But when I was, my first professional scene was that scene I mentioned that I did for Frank Andrina on Shinbone Alley. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Bugs okay. marching with another bug with a, with a military uniform, a hi hat, and a little stick. Okay. Because uh, we're jumping around a bit. So that's why I was like, which yeah, one I'm sorry. Was I didn't need to get off the, the time. <laughs> yeah. Sequence, no. But yeah, that, that was my first professional scene that I can remember. Yeah. Okay. I have another person to, to mention, and it seemed like you worked on it at least twice, uh, Ralph Bakshi, and oh, you worked yeah. with him, Heavy Traffic and Coonskin. And I talked yeah. to Mike Kazala, who worked with him, about uh, Mighty Mouse and stuff like that. So uh, was he like the, the, the way Mike describes him is he was very protective and he would uh, not take any crap from anybody, to put it mildly. <laughs> so. No, when I knew Ralph, he was a little bit more laid back. He was pretty loose. Okay. And uh, he loved uh, eccentric drawing, and he loved old illustrators. He collected a lot of books with illustrators, and he loved George Harriman. So we, we really were simpatico there. And uh, so he gave me the, the Maybelline sequence in Heavy Traffic to do. Hmm. And he gave me, I think, eight or $900 for the whole sequence. And I was responsible for every drawing in it. And I had to ink them all on paper and color them all. But it wasn't that tremendous amount of drawings because we did that sort of like a pose reel and mm. we changed the drawings on the beat of the music mm. and the original uh, uh maybelline and uh that worked out very well oddly enough uh you could you could read everything that happened and all that stuff and the original version was quite x-rated we had which, which one are you talking about heavy uh, traffic yeah yeah oh, it, it was okay. quite x-rated we had okay. full frontal nudity and a lot of sex gags <laughs> and stuff like that matter of fact i think the original version of that is on youtube now mm. that that couldn't be shown in theaters in those days mm. but ralph saved a print of the original x-rated version of heavy traffic and now bits and pieces of it are on youtube and maybelline is one of the bits mm. and uh his producer was the producer on that show now famous guy and now i'm forgetting his name but he he was the guy that really put his foot down about mabel he says you can't do this stuff and we're not going to put it in the picture and so they had to, i had to do these cover-up drawings that covered up all the the sexy stuff and so you see a big fat guy with a hand up on the top of his head and he's sweating that's, mm -hmm. Those are the cover-up drawings. <laughs> when, when you see the, the expedited uh, version, that's how you can tell. But, uh, yeah, so so yeah, Ralph's producer on that was was pretty tough to deal with. Are you talking about Steve Krantz? Yes. Yeah, okay. All right. Yeah, Steve really put his foot down. He, he didn't like the expedited. <laughs> Oddly enough, Steve isn't Steve the producer of Fritz the Cat, which was expedited. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because Heavy Traffic was supposed to have been a sequel of sorts to Fritz right. the Cat. It was another X-rated Ralph right. Bakshi film. But by the time it got through the production mill and all that stuff, it wound up being an R. Yeah. And then, <laughs> so of course, there was a, a rotten Fritz the Cat sequel called The Nine Lives that had not, that nobody... Which was... one of the top... Uh, Bakshi's top animators, uh, Bob Taylor, uh, directed. Yeah, that was Bob's. <laughs> yeah. okay. I did a little bit of cleanup work for Bob, too, on, on mm -hmm. Heavy Traffic. But uh, also then... We did the little uh, uh, the the Malcolm de Cockroach scene oh, in right. uh, in Coonskin. That's what I did for that, mm -hmm. and that's very similar to the thinking of Maybelline in that I had to do all the artwork. I inked everything on cell in mm -hmm. that, and 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 use kind of a red ink so it would stand out against a black background. And mm -hmm. we did, and again, it's a Harriman kind of a knockoff. We did we Malcolm was kind of a Harriman desired. Uh, designed cockroach in a way he looks more like the, the illustrations in Archie Mahidabel than Shinbone Alley does. Mm -hmm. So I did I did that little sequence and that was fun to do. And I don't know who was the lady that did the voice, but she's excellent. She was the storyteller and she did a wonderful uh, delivery on that. I think it's it's the saddest and and most uh, most melancholy part of Kunskis because mm -hmm. Kunskin is really kind of full of guns and gangster stuff and a lot of people get killed. 
but that was a little kind of a of a quieter sequence and was yeah. fun to work on well wasn't the whole thing kind of a take on song of the south in a certain respect very much so yeah. i had to bring in my print of the animation <laughs> wow. sequences from song of the south and we set them up uh, mm-hmm. i brought, brought my projector and, and ralph watched it mm. yeah he he patterned a lot of it after song of the south mm. I, Definitely. I have a quick question mark uh-huh um one of the things i know that mark probably had on his list too is like you know I've listened to tons of interviews with you. All of them, a lot of them talk about your friendship with Tex Avery and Hugh Harmon and Rudolph Ising. Yes. I want to know about your friendship with Otto Mesmer. Oh, I wish I'd had one. <laughs> I never got to meet the man, but I love his work very much and I admire him greatly. I love mm. his style. I use some of Otto's people in some of my stuff for Ralph. Uh, not, you know, uh, some of his little. You know, like his typical, uh, his husband and wife characters that, that mm. Otto drew from time to time. I managed to work them in. But uh, yeah, he was, Otto is just one of my very favorites. And, and I think that's the reason I have all the, the Felix the Cat comics that Harvey published. is mm-hmm. because it's partly Otto's work and it's partly Joe Oriolo's. So right. I, 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 I like his stuff a lot. Now, did you ever work with Joe? No, never. I've never oh. even met him. Oh. Never even talked to him. No, oh. sadly enough. <laughs> but I, I love those Felix comics. I, I managed yeah. to get a fairly complete run of those. Mm-hmm. I used to love the TV serial. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> remember the Felix the Cat TV serial in those mm-hmm. Harvey comics? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, like, I, I like how it started out with a sort of a strict continuity, and then they sort of forgot what the story was about, <laughs> and it starts to meander all over the place. Right. I got kind of a kick out of that. Now, have you, just because you're talking about it, have you been a collector all your life in tandem with being an animator? I've had that disease since I was a little boy. (laughs) And I don't recommend it to anybody. Please don't get started collecting. See, Camden, see, listen to this man. (laughs) Please don't do it. Because you'll be sorry. Spinner rack behind me. Do you see the spinner rack behind me? I can see it. (laughs) It's too late. That is a great way to display your comics, though. What's the Dell, like Dell 1957 spinner rack? I love that thing. Yeah, I'm crazy about spinner racks. I, I, I can I tell a story how I got it real quick, Mark? You go ahead. It's really funny. Yeah. Um, my grandfather found it like on Craigslist, and to get that thing from Sioux City, Iowa, to when I was living in Baton Rouge at the time, was a hassle. They drove it on a Greyhound bus with nobody <laughs> on the bus watching it. They just set it in the middle of the Greyhound bus. <laughs> wow. In the storage. <laughs> and here are these two guys. So I'm at the, I'm at the, I'm at the, my parents and I are at the Greyhound bus depot. And, and here comes out this box of this giant spinner rack comic book rack. I'm like, oh, sweet. <laughs> I That's thought you were going to say they just. Chucked it out onto the train platform. Here it is. There's a bus. <laughs> yeah. Here it is. Oh, this thing has been man. driving us nuts this whole time. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then That's they didn't funny. even have a box. They just had the rack just sitting there. Wow. Just sitting there on the bus. You yeah. never told me that one. You might have told others, not me on this podcast. Well, it's lucky it got to you in good condition. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That, that's a kind of a rough journey. Now, so now my problem, good. though, is that when I was growing up, I read all my comics, I read yeah. all my old ones, too. So my Huckleberry Hounds comics from the 50s that I got when I was 12 are now laminated with laminated covers because I read them so much. Oh, oh, yeah. So you had to take better care of them, fix up yeah. the covers so they wouldn't fall apart. Yes, Harvey Eisenberg's work on a lot of those. Yeah, I, I have a lot of admiration for him. Mm-hmm. And I never got to meet him either, but I, I know his son, Jerry, pretty well. I, worked right. with him. I, too. I, met, I met Jerry as well. Yeah, yeah but, so but Harvey sadly did not live very long. No. He died kind of young, but God, what a tremendous talent yeah. that guy was! Yeah, in layout well, remember, and uh, and comics. I remember I was showing you, and I figured this out. Um, like in Australia, I know that they, I think you're the one that told me this. On Australia, the 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 Tom, the just the Tom. You know, Mark. You know how, Mark Arnold. You know how in the Tom and Jerry comics, they yeah. would like have just an adventure of Tom. Right. And you know, they reprinted those in Australia. And what they did was basically they drew over Harvey Eisenberg's covers. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I can pull one out if I, you want. Okay, okay. That'd be interesting to see. Here, here's one thing that I have, and I could gra- go over and grab it, but I'll wait until <laughs> Canada comes back or we'll have nobody on the show. Um, 
I bought years ago. I mean, we're talking 80s. Um, what was told to me uh, was a Yogi Bear original. And uh, I can't even think of the incorrect person. Who's the person who did the Flintstones comic strip? Gene Hazleton. Gene yeah. Hazleton. And so actually, Harvey did a few of those too. So I was told. That's great. Look that's at cool. Those. That's cool. Wow, I've never seen those. <laughs> these are, these Adventures are Australian. Of time. Yeah, these are Australian. My brother found these for me, my older brother. Mm-hmm. He found these for me in a dealer. And I'm just like, I've never seen or heard of these in my life. He says, he says, you know, he said, where do you find them? He said, no, 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 I bought them from some guy online over the phone. I'm like, oh, he's sweet. <laughs> where, what, where, what do those date from? When were they published? Uh, let's see here. I would guess early 50s, but looks like 50s. Could be wrong. Yeah, and it's like it's very. It's not even the date here. You see, they got all the Australian stuff around here. <laughs> it's all Roman numerals. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, drawn by Jarvis JR Studios, printed in Australia. Yeah, there's no date hmm. whatsoever. No dates. No, so you have to carbon carbon date it. No. <laughs> it looks like early to mid fifties to me, but I don't. Yeah, I would say too, but it's interesting because <laughs> I looked this up and I figured out that they basically they used Harvey Eisenberg's covers and they basically did squirrels over them. Weird. <laughs> and then oh, with well. this, it's like this one's just Tom just. This one looks like a like a like art you might see in like the Tom and Jerry strip, I think. Oh yeah, right. It, it, playing the part of an organ grinder's monkey. Yeah, <laughs> in that cover. Yeah, of course you've seen all the the the, the early stuff that uh, when Harvey Eisenberg and Joe Barbera were in partnership in comics. Yeah, the Red Rabbit, Foxy yeah. Fagans, all those. Yeah, they actually had a little company of their own. Junior, I, I have I think one of those. Called. I have the fo- one of the Foxy Fagans ones. I love the artwork in those. As I said, Mark, it's too late for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it's good because uh, those, we need I guess somebody... those Red Rabbits and Foxy Vegas are $300 a, a piece now. We need, yeah. somebody, we need somebody to carry the torch. Come on, Mark. <laughs> I, I think I paid like $3 for yeah, the yeah. ones I, I think I, I think I paid like $40 or something. Oh, I didn't these prices are just killer. Yeah. It's I unbelievable. Just a few well, bucks for things. It, Here's the thing. I got a bunch of Dell at a comic book convention. These Mutt and Jeff Dell early DC Mutt and Jeffs were, were at $40 a piece. And it's like, you know what? No one's going to buy these. You can have them for 10 bucks each. Wow. Well, that's so, a pretty good discount. That's not so bad. I got like the whole thing, a whole stack. He's like, it's like, you know what? I like these designs. And one of the things my dad, my dad, my dad, you know, my dad, my dad's not interested in the same thing I am, but my dad told me a lot. One of them is how to haggle. Um, <laughs> Um, so basically I convinced him was just in a short second. He's like, you know what? No one buys these. These are good designs. I don't want to, I don't want to go. I don't want to have them sit here. I'll give it to you each for $10 each, except for the one that was from the early, early thirties. And he says, that will be 20. I'm like, okay. Sold. (laughs) Fair enough. All I can think of is life of Brian where he's this bloke won't haggle. (laughs) 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 No, you got a 14 now. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Anyway, Um, I like your shirt, Camden. Uh, That's one of Grim Natwick's drawings. Yeah, what is one of Grim's drawings um, from Dangerous Dan Nan McGrew? Oh, okay. This is Bomb Bandit. this is one of the rock and pins drawings. At first, I thought since I only saw the top of it, I thought it was just Dudley Do Right or something. No, that, that, Before that's I knew Betty. any of the other details about rock and pins, I bought the shirt from Rock and Pins. I, I know I Mauricio very well. Yeah, well, yeah. Well, he did a pin shirt. of my little. Uh, did he do that too? That's Schoolhouse Rock. This is that's Schoolhouse nice. Rock. That's a nice shirt. <laughs> this is and from Tarjay. Target. Target. <laughs> Target. Oh, I get it. I get what you mean. Very good. Well, that's anyway. good. That's better than I thought Target had. That's oh. sure. I have to look for that. But uh, yeah, uh, Mauricio did a, a little pin of my uh, "It's a Cat" character from, yeah. from my little independent uh, shorts that I did, you know, in the 20, uh, 2004 and twenty twelve. Yeah. So I was, was going to ask about that. He did a beautiful job on that little pin. You know, I was going to ask about the Mark. How did those shorts come about? Because that's they came about just because out of frustration. Because I was working on a lot of pictures that 
I wasn't too crazy about like Looney Tunes back in action and Osmosis Jones. I thought, oh God, you know, there's got to be more to life than working on this stuff. <laughs> so I, I came up with a storyboard. I, I heard an old record uh, called The Cat. And uh, I thought, you know, that's a really great little number. And I began to imagine action to it and things like that. And I thought of a whole cast of characters and the little, little Itza. And uh, then I started animating it just one scene at a time, you know, and, and every time I'd have downtime somewhere, I'd always bring the scenes with me. And if, you know, we hit a gap, which was like with Osmosis Jones, you know, we hit a gap like you know, every two weeks and they kept <laughs> rewriting the story, you know, a hundred times. Right. So I would just start animating and uh, that's how I finished the picture. I finished a whole three minute <laughs> cartoon, you know, just in my downtimes. And then uh, my friend, Greg Ford in New York took it upon himself to do the cells. And uh, we did the whole thing full cell, full color, and shot it traditionally. No digital in the whole thing at all. Just all traditional stuff. The sequel and, too? And, yeah, and the sequel as well. Although the sequel was somewhat touched by the digital era in that there's no film. It was done on a, what did they call that, a DCP? This little chip mm. that you put in a projector in a theater, and it looks for all the world like film when they run it. Mm. But uh, there is no film prints, although it was shot on film, it was never printed on film. Right. So that's where digital came into the process on uh, some other cat. That was the sequel. Yeah, I, I, I know that yeah. that's your whole that's your whole shtick, though, because that's what your blog's named after. That's what yes. Um, and um, and that's what your Facebook profile is out of. So that's your whole shtick. Yep, you're right. <laughs> yeah, well, I was quite happy that I got those done. I didn't think that I would be that fortunate because it took so long. It took nearly 20 years to finish those two cartoons. And it's a right. long time, you know, and a lot of things can go wrong and a lot of things can disappear. Matter of fact, Greg gave up at one point <laughs> <laughs> on some other cat. He says, oh, that thing? You know, I don't know if I'm ever going to do. I said, and then I would just, you know, yell at him on the phone and, and really try to encourage him. And then <laughs> by golly, he, he actually did finish it. Hmm. And uh, Rose Eng, who was our inker, that she has a Harvey connection. She was an inker uh, at Famous Studio. Yep. So a Famous Studios inker actually did the first scene where little Itza is <laughs> on the fence and he's rubbing the moon with his tail and doing all. She did that whole thing. She did a beautiful job inking that. Mm. So uh, I was quite proud to have her part of that little cartoon. Mm -hmm. Thank you for listening and thank you Mark Kausler and Camden Spees for being my special guests. Remember you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 171 will be coming soon with part two of this interview. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.